This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in this home and is the other person on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. How are you? Huh? (laughs) I think that's accurate. I will stick with Liesl from Sound of Music's Just Fair. I'm just fair. <laughs> uh, but we are going to have some fun. We've been oscillating on the podcast between cathartic things of talking about, uh, you know, hope and how to keep moving forward in difficult times and then sometimes just taking a break for some fun escapism. This is a very weird window uh, of time as we're recording this mm-hmm. where uh, there is the election, obviously. Uh, Halloween just passed. And if you're a big Star Wars fan, the second season of The Mandalorian started. <laughs> Those three things are not equally important by any means, <laughs> but they were all happening around the same time for me. So on this episode, we are going to discuss The Mandalorian, since it is on people's minds. I'm excited to talk with you about it, Sarah. The first episode of the first season, or the second season, rather, has dropped, but we're just going to talk about the first season. Mm-hmm. If you have not seen the first season, this will be full of spoilers for the first season. So if you uh, haven't seen it and don't want to know things, stop listening. If you have watched it and uh, you want to hear our thoughts, please continue listening. <laughs> also, if you have no intention of ever watching it, just uh, listen. Why not? Sure. Go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. See see if it makes any sense. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about right here at the top of the podcast is that I know our schedule for release has been a little bit erratic. For a long time, it was really standard that I would get it out on Thursday. Uh, you and I, Sarah, sometimes record on Friday. Uh, sometimes, like right now, we're recording at 5 o'clock on the West Coast on Sunday. And with everything else going on, it is just a little bit hard for us to record at the exact same time over the weekend. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, uh, and I wanted to thank uh, our loyal listeners uh, for just listening to the podcast when it comes out and reacting and sharing thoughts. And it's all really appreciated, uh, and we will get it out every weekend. And if we don't, I'll always post somewhere on social media and or uh, Patreon. If we're not gonna, if we're gonna miss a week uh, for some sad reason, but otherwise, somewhere between Friday and Sunday, we'll get the podcast out. And <laughs> yeah. thank you, everyone, uh, for coming along on the ride. Absolutely, and not knowing exactly when the ride is going to happen. That's right. Per week, that's, that's pretty cool. Part of the surprise. <laughs> yeah, really. All podcasts should just be surprises. No, <laughs> no. Uh, all right, so we are going to get into the Mandalorian. I talked about spoilers. I talk about the Mandalorian in all things Star Wars. A lot on my other podcast, Force Center. So I'm going to try to ask you questions about your perspective on The Mandalorian and limit myself a little bit. <laughs> and in order to limit myself, I just uh, wanted to share quickly like my big picture reaction to Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, big Please deal do. because it's the first you know live action Star Wars television show. And I like all things Star Wars, I have my little, ooh, I, I would have done this a little bit different, or I'm not sure about this, or I think that's like, whatever. All that stuff is there and fine. But the big picture, I really love it. I love the spirit uh, that it's coming from of let's play with the action figures uh, and being of the same generation of John Favreau in particular, who grew up with the original trilogy and really had that sense of a part of the magic of Star Wars is what you actually saw on screen. But then you had years in between where you just had the action figures and you made up the stories Mm -hmm. and you wondered what happened next. And I think the whole show has that spirit of, as he eventually said, I I was talking about it like this. And then I heard him say it on an interview. He's like, it's just like I'm dumping out the action figures and I'm playing with them with Dave Filoni and all the other (laughs) directors and writers and designers. Uh, So it's great to know that that uh, that is really uh, the mission statement in some ways. Let's play with the action figures. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think. Uh, I often think of Star Wars as doing tip of the iceberg storytelling, particularly the original trilogy, where it just throws things out. Like, oh, it mentions the Clone Wars, and Luke and Ben Kenobi are having an adventure, and that's what's important. But in that adventure, you kind of get this sense that there's this whole, you know, cultural system between the Tusken Raiders and the Jawas and the Moisture Farmers. And you, you find out a little bit about the Bounty Hunters, but they're just kind of this little cog in the story between the empire and the rebellion and all of mandalorian is going i want to see the more of those icebergs (laughs) we got just the tip but what about the what about all the bounty hunters what about the entire culture of the jawas like and it, it just has that great spirit of like hey 
I've watched Star Wars a million times now. I've always wanted to know a little bit more about that thing that's over there. Let's go all the way over there and see that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it so has that that enthusiasm and that heart. Yeah. Uh, and then the final thing that I will note is, you know, when it was being advertised, a ton of people were excited about it because it, it, it really looked like this one part of Star Wars, mm-hmm. which is mysterious lone bounty hunter, cool badass and cool armor. It's going to go and kick ass. And what do you know? The show comes out and it absolutely is that. It is cool guy in cool armor kicking ass. But what he is ultimately kicking ass for is to protect this young innocent child and he is finding ways to kick ass while still in staying within his own system of honor mm-hmm. but that it's such a melding of the the heart of star wars that always cares about uh kindness and empathy and taking care of the next generation and that it's managed to like so directly marry the like the fun and the action and the wars of star wars uh with all of that kindness and empathy. So it's this show about a badass kicking ass to be kind to a child. <laughs> it's like, <Yep. laughs> in a way, kicking ass for kindness uh, is, to a certain extent, Star Wars to me. Yep. So those are my big picture things of why it really resonates with me and why I think it's great. I love it. Yay. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. End of podcast. <laughs> uh, no, not, now that I got that out of my system, I want to dive into your thoughts. What do you like about the show or what resonates with you? Yeah, well, I've just got to pick up on that phrase. I mean, my gosh, kicking ass for kindness. I want that to be my motto for life. (laughs) I want that as a T-shirt. I want that as a badge. I want that as the sky banner that's written in the sky. (laughs) Um, I love that idea. So I I love that. Um, Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So I just need to take a moment to process that. And um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, let me let me uh, take a step back before I just ask you what you like about the show. You're you're a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. You grew up with it, uh, but then it, particularly when the sequel trilogy was coming out, you know, you and I really went through that adventure together. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I often tell the story of you were always really uh, kind and supportive of my you know undying love of action figures. But like during the sequel trilogy era, it got to that point where you would almost go to the toy aisle at Target faster than me. And you would you, you've got a better eagle eye at spotting the ones we're looking for. I always remember the day where your hand shot up and found Leia, a Leia action figure before I did, and I was like, "Oh wow, she's a faster draw than I am now when it comes to action figures." So yeah, that Leia. <laughs> so you've had like I, I think like this extra uh, uh, immersion into Star Wars mm-hmm. in the last five years. So when this show was being advertised, when the trailers came out, did you have any expectations, any desires, or were you just sort of like, "I'll see what's next." Um, I mean, I was excited about it, absolutely, um, and just really excited to see what they would do next. Now that the Skywalker Skywalker high talking uh, consonants, now that the Skywalker saga uh, was complete, um, I was really curious um, or was completing. Yeah. Um, at that time when they announced it, I just was very curious. Like, okay, so we're not telling, we're not dealing with those icebergs. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously we had watched, uh, Rebels, which is within that, but I was just very curious, um, you know, about more than anything else and just excited to see like, what is, what is new Star Wars? What is new Star Wars on TV instead of as a movie? Yeah. Which we had had before, but again, different, different sort of thing. Um, so that, that was my, um, my approach going into it was, uh, excitement and I, I always have very much a push-pull with, like, trailers and things of I kind of want to see a little bit, but I don't want to see too much. Um, that's my reaction to basically any trailer for anything I'm interested in. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm not interested, I don't really care if I see it. But if I am interested, I, I kind of want to see the first trailer and then nothing after that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I know I saw at least one or two trailers, but I didn't feel overly prepared for one direction or another and I just I didn't have a lot of expectations going in which was a really fun kind of blank slate direction to go toward yeah I think that that that's a great thing for us all to strive toward because I do think that that is one of the things like when I uh, backtracked to my own times where like I didn't like something at first and then later I was like what was my problem it's always because some bit of a trailer had locked into my brain 
Mm. And I had decided it was going to be this. Like there's uh, a couple specific James Bond movies and like one season of 24 where it's like, bruh, 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 bruh. and like, oh, it's <laughs> because I had this expectation. And then if you take a step back and just watch it, you know, yeah. so I love uh, coming in with uh, with uh, with an open mind. Yeah. And yeah. An absolutely. Open heart. So what did your open mind and open heart see really those first couple episodes well, that, that that grabbed you? Yeah. I mean, it was just it was so much fun. It was so I loved the world building and you were so instantly there. Um, so I love that idea of just like you're here, you're there, you know, you know where you are. Because everything is part of it. It was beautiful. Uh, so that always is a bonus for me, which, yeah. um, you know, there's lots of different kinds of beauty. Um, but overall, <laughs> which, is, which is just say like, I, I don't need everything to take place on Naboo or something. Like, right. it's not, but the way it was shot and directed and art directed and everything and just like seeing, I mean, I just, Star Wars is so fun. And so when you get to see, um, a different place, but you still know it's within the world of Star Wars. Like the doors still feel like Star Wars doors, even if they're a little bit different, <laughs> you know, like and the trash on the street still feels like it's from the Star Wars universe. Yeah. So to me, that is just such an exciting like it's like being at the top of a brand new ro- roller coaster. And yeah, you're like, this is going to be amazingly fun. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's a roller coaster. So we hands up. Here we go. I so. think that's a really good point of like the the movies are almost like uh, going on this relatively fast safari through all of these exotic places. Right. Mm. And The Mandalorian is a live action show gets to slow down and you almost just feel like you're uh, walking through the environment. Like yeah. you have more time to luxuriate in it yeah, and just kind of point. be in that aesthetic. And if you like that aesthetic, which, you know, Star Wars has really got its specific aesthetic that uh, applies to all Star Wars. But then, you know, diff- different parts of Star Wars, obviously, of like the little bit more outer rim look versus a little bit more built up urban look and, all you know, the more wild, untamed planet look. And it's got all those things, but they they evoke these different moods. And Mandalorian right out of the gate is really like, yep. We just kind of get to spend more time in these places because the the pace and number of characters and events is a little slower. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, right off the bat, you get, um, you know, Carl Weathers in there like, hello, fantastic. <laughs> you get, we'll later learn his name is Quill. You get the Ugnaught. I mean, how can you not love the Ugnaught Quill? <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the great reveal at the end of the first episode um, of Baby Yoda, yeah, or the child, and just that, like, what? Sorry for yelling. <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah. So that just, I was already all in, and then I was doubly all in. Interesting. Okay, so we're gonna talk about Baby Yoda in a second. That's yeah. my next question, <laughs> and you can feel free to call him the child, as is his current canonical name in the in the show. Or you can call him Baby Yoda mm-hmm. because, you know, uh, we as the viewers also get to reflect on, on culture. Yep. <laughs> and that was our, our name for the child, Baby Yoda. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like that first episode, you know, the show takes a turn when you get to the child. But you yeah. were saying you're already invested. So did you feel, um, did you relate to the Mandalorian in any way? Because that first mm. episode, we are introduced to a relatively blank guy. He does definitely have some lines that let you know exactly who he is, but there's plenty of mystery and there's no face. So in a way, I yeah. think like psychologically, it's a little bit easier to project yourself into, you know, what we learned in that first episode pretty much is he is a bounty hunter. It's kind of drudgery. He's not excited about it. And he's just this guy who's trying to get by, trying to make enough money to provide for the Mandalorians hiding in the sewers. Like, mm-hmm. that's about what we know until he he encounters the child. So I'm curious if you felt like, if you saw yourself in him or were able to mm-hmm. sort of project yourself like you were walking through the show through his eyes. Um, I, I would say no. <laughs> um, in terms of seeing myself in the Mandalorian, um, or at least I'd... That is in a way that I feel like I've thought about it. Yeah. But I did feel like I could be within the environment of the show. Yeah. If that makes if that makes sense to not yeah. be like not be as him, but be <laughs> but be the bystander watching the whole thing going on. Um more. Yeah. Um, but I was really I think I was just I was very intrigued 
I was very intrigued to see where it was going to go, how they were going to set this up. I liked the world they were setting up. Um, but no, in terms of actually seeing myself as the Mandalorian, I don't think that ever crossed my mind. Yeah, I think maybe I am uh, getting excited and overselling what I mean. <laughs> I think you certainly can project if you want to, if you've always kind of wanted to feel like a bounty hunter. But I think even even if it's not like literally I'm identifying with that guy, I think even though you're in this exotic locale and most of us are not uh, bounty hunters with tracking fobs, you know, trying to find <laughs> Beskar to give to our fellow Mandalorians hiding in a sewer, most of us aren't that. Yeah. But you strip away all that Star Wars cool and it is just like a guy trying to provide for his family who's not doing well. Yeah. And I think that doesn't make this doesn't necessarily make you go like, oh yes, it's me. I'm the Mandalorian. I'm under the hood. But it makes it a relatable world. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so the baby Yoda, the baby Yoda, the yeah. child, baby Yoda. How do you feel about him? Do you want to <laughs> squeeze him? Like, what yes. is your what is your relationship to Baby Yoda? That every moment of life would be better if Baby Yoda were in the room. <laughs> uh, why? Uh, because Baby Yoda is adorable. Uh, I feel like Baby Yoda also exudes some wisdom. So you get like that combination of like old soul. Yeah. Um, and most people seem to react positively to baby Yoda. So it's also um, having baby Yoda around would also be something that uplifts people. Yeah. Brings people joy. Um, Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that this is actually something that I have thought about is why in general or for myself, there's such a strong reaction to baby Yoda. And it is um, that reaction is, to me, a little it is both explainable and a little bit inexplicable. I feel like Baby Yoda is way more than the sum of his parts, and there is just a like yes, that is <laughs> instinctual, and not just because of like the the baby thing. Because it's not I don't feel that way about every baby human or animal that I see on TV. It is specifically baby Yoda. I mean, I have always had a very strong affinity for Yoda. Yeah. So, so there is that, but I feel like that is not a requirement for liking baby Yoda. I feel like lots of people love the child. We'll alternate names um, (laughs) who may not necessarily have a strong opinion one way or another about Yoda, let alone, you know, the original Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So like part of the joy of him is this cultural magic. You like, in a time where a ton of people always have a, a strong opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and often share it on social media. So even when you have something like Star Wars, like I make a pizza analogy a lot, like Star Wars is a pizza and you ask people to like pizza, the vast majority of people are going to be like, yes. And they're like, olives? And they'll be like, no, you're nuts. Olives are a failure, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I feel like Star Wars is like that. Every 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 bit of Star Wars that comes out is a pizza. And there's a lot of people, I love pizza. And then there are a lot of people who are always upset that the toppings that they don't like on the pizza are on this yeah. particular Star Wars pizza. But Baby Yoda seems to be a pizza topping that is universally adored. And there's a magic just in that. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I love this turn of phrase that you have more than some more than the sum of his parts. Uh, what do you? Is he goes through the show? He's just a little gift machine. Like every little thing he does <laughs> is relatable. And the the gift thing is kind of funny because it's this relatively new uh, in the scheme of things way that we relate to culture when you're watching a show and like that's a gift. Uh, but I think there's a power in it because it means that tiny frame is utterly evocative of emotion it is so clearly evocative of an emotion of a specific emotion that we don't need words that just this can communicate it yeah it, it, to you is that is that a power of part of your connection to baby yoda that that he seems to be just incredibly powerful at ex- expressing specific emotions oh i'm sure it is i'm sure the fact that like you you see him and you know what he's how he's reacting or just taking things in or you can project your own emotions and reactions onto him and be like, yes, baby Yoda agrees with me um, is part of the, the magic of him both for viewers. And also I, and also you see that happening within the show too. You know, like there's the episode where they go to the world and all the children instantly are drawn to baby Yoda yeah, and just want to play with him and want to be around him. Um, And I just, I feel like, 
there's a magic both um, on screen and off screen. That's not quite right, but both like within universe and for those of us who are watching the universe. Yeah. Um, that the magic is there. And yeah, I'm sure that part of it is that there isn't, I mean, he's not saying things, so we can't disagree with him. So there's also that. Um, unless, I mean, there are a few things he does. Like, if you really wanted the Mudhorn to be able to best the Mandalorian, then you might be mad at Baby Yoda for stopping the Mudhorn. But then we wouldn't have a show because it's called the Mandalorian, not the Mudhorn. That would be pretty amazing if at the end of the second episode, the Mudhorn uh, kills the Mandalorian and then... <laughs> the end credits go the Mudhorn. It like right? tricked you. It's not really about a Mandalorian. <laughs> this is going to be the Mudhorn and the Child, right? And that's the rest of the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. So I mean, I'm sure that that uh, the lack of words, yeah, might be part of it. Yeah, I, I hadn't actually really thought about that aspect of it before. I think that's a really great way to say it. Of like, yeah, that he is so young and pure. Mm-hmm. That there's not a lot to disagree with. That's a, that's an amazing observation. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, because I think that's part of it. Is like uh, his universal appeal to me is there is almost to me a relief in imagining yourself being back in that state where you could, without any worry about any of the baggage of culture or relationships, just express exactly what you're feeling and what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. Where he's just like he sees something he wants and he kind of he reaches out for it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or something scares him. He wants to hide or, you know, uh, he wants to he senses pain and he just wants to help, you know, and there's just there's no like, ooh, should I should I reach out to that person? Maybe maybe I maybe they don't want an email today or like, oh, I really am, am afraid of that. But I, I can't let people see my fear. Like, I want to eat that. But everybody else would be think it's weird that I ate a frog like. And he's got no, none of those concerns. Yeah. He just does. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so true. It's so great. And I think because he's, what, 50, right? Yeah. So he has the the benefit of being a little bit older. <laughs> but he's also kind of a toddler. And, you know, let's, I think a lot of people do have that reaction to, like, toddler gifts. Yeah. Of like, I want, I reach... I'm tired. I sit down. Yes. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. And it really, I mean, I don't know why I always relate things to Mandalorian almost back to the the day to day because it gets that power of it. Like (laughs) he does those phenomenal things like in the final episode of the first season where, you know, he he is getting more aware of of situations Mm -hmm. and he knows that fire is coming and that fire is going to burn all of his friends. And he, you know, he holds up his little hands and he throws the fire back and then he just collapses, mm-hmm. right? And there's no heroic sort of like, I'm exhausted, but I must go on. And I find that so relatable to be like, what? I did my thing today. I sent all <laughs> 17 of my emails, and now I'm not even going to go home from work. I'm just going to fall out of my chair and go to sleep. Like, there's this joyful, it connects to our actual, like, I wish I could be that pure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. How do you feel, you talked about this a little bit, uh, like absolutely last year when it came out, they were trying to uh, contain the surprise so that they didn't have a merch machine. And and it was mm-hmm. amazing as a long-term Star Wars fan. It's been a long-term Star Wars criticism of people saying, oh, they just did X, Y, or Z to sell merch. And then they make the cutest, most popular, most relatable thing ever. And millions of people going, where's the merch, Disney? Uh, and then here a year later, the insane merch everywhere, right? right? If, it, if it can be printed on, there's a Baby Yoda on it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Are you excited about just like the sheer volume of Baby Yoda in the physical world? Ooh. Um, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm... For me, it's not. I, here's what I like more is that it wasn't spoiled by the need to sell merch ahead of time. Yeah. Like that to me is like, yes, go Disney. Correct decision. <laughs> I will. I, will. <laughs> I mean, I and I whatever they, you know, made, they make their own decisions. They don't ask me. But um, <laughs> but I do feel very strongly that that was that the power of Baby Yoda is way more powerful for not knowing ahead of time. Yeah. That that is amazing that that secret got kept. Uh, you know, at least I understand maybe a few people knew ahead of time, but for the most part, for the most part, that was tight and that is amazing. And, uh, you know, 
thank goodness, bless them for, you know, they're holding that back. Yeah. Um, so I just want to start with that. In terms of like, you know, there wasn't a lot um, last winter. So like what, there were like a few t-shirts with like giant silk screen, <laughs> baby Yoda. Um, I, I'm very fussy about what merch I want for myself. Yeah. And so I'm happy that there's a lot of merch out there because I feel like a lot of people love the joy of Baby Yoda and I want people to be able to experience that joy however makes them happiest. Yeah. Whether that's hugging a little Baby Yoda that's plush and they can hug or if it's having a little Baby Yoda action figure that they can put by their Mandalorian or (laughs) it's having, you know, a week's worth of t-shirts that are all different versions of Baby Yoda (laughs) holding, you know, eating a frog, drinking bone broth, any of that. Like, I'm happy it is out there for the wide variety of ways that we all want to express ourselves. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. And you've made the good observation before that there is such power to Baby Yoda's uh, appearance that some of the merch nails it and some of the merch is just ever so slightly off. Yes, it is. And the magic is gone. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, you opened... uh, we opened the box that came with the Funko Pop that I pre-ordered uh-huh. months ahead of time together. Uh, no, I opened it, and then it was just sitting open, and you came home and got startled when you looked in the box. Yeah. Tell yeah. me more about that experience from your perspective. It, baby Yoda was scary. <laughs> how is that possible? That's, it, writes that right? <laughs> that was how I felt. It was like, no, this is wrong. He's this got a little is bit. not, like, something about the eyes are not quite right. Um, and I know that's part of the whole punk, Funko Pop thing. But there was something about it that uh, I found deeply disturbing. I got the Funko Pop that's uh, Baby Yoda reaching his little hand out to use the Force. And mm. so he's already in a little bit of an assertive stance. Uh-huh. So you looked like he was reaching out of the box for you. <laughs> and I think he's I think he's pretty good. But he's got a little bit too much red around the eyes. Is like, that what it is? I think so. I think okay. it's like a little bit like, did Baby Yoda have a rough night? That's not what Baby Yoda is about Mm-mm. at this age. <laughs> so, no. yeah, I, I get that there was this like... Ah, a little thing with red eyes is reaching. Oh, wait. Oh, that's Baby Yoda. Yeah. 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 And I think that's maybe part of it is Baby Yoda is so distinct that for me to like the merch, I like it needs to be right. Yeah. Like, and I, I love that merch, action figures, whatever's put on T-shirts, thermoses, waffle pans, whatever. Um, you know, it's not always going to be exactly right like that's part of the charm honestly with some of the action figures that we look at is it's like okay their faces are slightly different so you know which expression do we want ray to actually have because we can pick (laughs) um and and to me that's part of the beauty of of the merch is like it's not the same thing but it's the representation you you bring home or you look at in the store yeah or whatever but it was a little disconcerting uh (laughs) to see Baby Yoda, not quite, not quite right. <laughs> this is not my Baby Yoda. <laughs> right, pretty much. Uh, well, like all things uh, talking about Mandalorian, we spent a lot of time on Baby Yoda there, and we might spend more. Do you have any other favorite moments or beats or characters or, or specific things that you gravitate toward? Yeah, I love Queel. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. D- tell me more about that. Um, just his whole, his arc, what we see of his arc, what we sense of the iceberg of who he is prior to what we get to see of him. Um, I just, I think having that, his character in that, you know, you were saying, uh, we recently rewatched the first season and you were talking about him as kind of the mentor figure, which, uh, absolutely he is. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but absolutely. But just that, that weight and gravitas of having that character of having that character who had really, you know, everything from like his just fun turns of phrase that also are weighty, like the, like. I have spoken. Yeah. <laughs> Which is both fantastic and also like, yeah, great. He's a man of the words that he needs to say. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, if you're going to spend time with him and if he's going to choose to allow you past that electric fence, <laughs> <laughs> then when he says I have spoken, you're like, okay. Yeah. I think there's something really powerful about the I have spoken. It's obviously a fun and funny turn of phrase, mm-hmm. but it also could be like, a real asshole thing, right? It could make you really yeah. dislike a character, but there's something about, you know, like you were saying, his his backstory is gets doled out just a little bit, that he was, he, that he's been a servant for a long time. And toward the end of that servitude, he, he was forced to work for the Empire when he did not want to. Mm-hmm. And somehow by the skill of his own hands, 
He worked his way out of it, and he's free now, and he builds his own life. And I think that I have spoken doesn't come across as an asshole because he basically says, you're asking something of me. Every time Mando comes to him, Mando's kind of asking something for him. Totally. And he's like, here are my terms. Hit accept or don't. Mm-hmm. And that is cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I feel like there's just a there's just a different energy about him than I feel like um with other characters that I'm thinking of off the top of my head who have that level of weight within a what eight part series. Yeah. Um and so I just feel like the like you know that there's more to him. You know that he's had these these different experiences. He's not the Jedi. Right. He's not the fancy droid. He's, uh, you know, a creature who's had to work. I love the, you know, by the skill of my hands, I paid this off. Like, I just love that idea and how much pride he has in that. And I feel like that is so relatable to so many people of like, I had to, you know, literally metaphorically set myself free. And the way to do that was with my own skill, with my own hands, because nothing else was given to me. And I just, I love seeing that storyline given that much weight and emphasis within the overarching story. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot in Mandalorian that is definitely like the the uh, triumph of the overlooked character. I mean, yeah. it's literally how Favreau has talked about it of like, I wanted to do the Star Wars show where you only had what was considered in like the late 70s, early 80s that not as great action figures. You, mm-hmm. just, you know, you just got an Ugnaught and a Jawa and you, you're lucky enough to have one Boba Fett. That's your coolest action figure. Now make a story. So it, it definitely comes from that perspective. But yeah, to combine that sort of the wisdom that we would see from an Obi-Wan or uh, Yoda or in the sequel trilogy from Leia uh, these are all like important people. They're leaders of the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. And to see this from somebody who's like, no, I have this wisdom, but I only recently got out of, you know, unfair servitude and I found a way out myself, but I still have this wisdom and you, this legendary Mandalorian can still learn a lot from me if you're willing to listen. Yeah. is like, it just gives so much respect to, you know, that everyone in the galaxy has wisdom. Everyone in the galaxy has power. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's very much um, what it just relates back to for me of both, you know, kind of whether it's um, specific people that I've known throughout my life or just kind of that idea. So I just I I absolutely I think I just really like him as a character. I cry every time <laughs> at his uh, when he when he dies and uh, trying to protect the child. But also, uh, before we get to his end, I wanted to get back to it. Like, but he's also excited about meeting a Mandalorian. Yeah. Like, and I love that. Like, there's just there's so much within that. So I so he's really high up there for me. Um, and that's just a really fun, interesting um, interaction because we really do see the growth throughout the series of the Mandalorian and, you know, kind of his asking for help but not really quite realizing what he's asking of people and you know Quill just kind of being like what I want is for these people to leave my planet yeah my so valley you're to be helping in peace. me yeah <laughs> uh, or my my valley um and then we see the you know kind of the changes and the growth that the Mandalorian goes on and I feel like he is a different person when he comes back to ask for Quill's help at the end and so getting to see that is really uh nice also kind of their their duet that you see kind of interweaving and changing throughout the story. Yeah, I love that you say that. That's, and that's a great thing to point out is like, yeah, uh, Quill is helping Mando in the first episode, but he explicitly says more than once, like, yeah, because you're this famous Mandalorian. And if anybody could get this violence to end, you're the one who's going to go and do it. Uh, and and I, and then there's, yeah, Mando comes back to him a little bit more wise, a little bit know who he's dealing with, and talks Quill into doing something bigger. It mm-hmm. talks him into leaving the planet and Quill's motivation ultimately is, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but no one will ever be truly free until the old ways are gone, meaning the empire. So mm-hmm. it's, it's this, it, it's a couple of different, like I think core star Wars ideas that Quill is representing, like always the, the wisdom of the mentor can always help you become the, the best that you can be the best version of yourself. Yeah. You know, mentors hard on you because they see who you can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then also this idea that when you see something that's totally wrong and you're asked to do something, 
Star Wars always kind of celebrates the like, yeah, we always want to turn away from that. But, you know, the right thing to do is to turn toward it, you know. Mm, so the fact yeah. that he does leave his peaceful valley because he's like, all right, the Empire is acting up on this planet. All right. I guess I'll I guess I'll do that mm-hmm. uh, is is you're right. That's a great duet. Yeah. And I love I love the he gives us so much great exposition about Mandalorians in that very first episode. And also, again, that's just so relatable, like real life stuff where Mandalorian doesn't want to learn to ride the Blurg. And he's like, <laughs> but your people rode the great mythosaur. Surely you can learn to ride this young fowl uh, or foal. Uh, it, it, that's just such great, like feels like real life mentorship where you just you you, you know, tell your mentor like. I'm going to do something the lazy half-ass way because I just, uh, I can't even. And they're like, come on, right to the challenge, you right. know? Right, Like, to to Quill, what the Mandalorian is saying is, I don't want to. <laughs> he's like, but you're Mandalorian, live up to it. That's your <laughs> whole thing. Yeah. And like, all right, I will. Fine. All right, fine, I'll live up to my identity. Fine. If you could ask Quill for some life advice, what might you ask Quill about? Holy cow. Wow. <laughs> well, um, gosh, so much. <laughs> How long do we want this podcast to be today? As long as possible. Um, I, I mean, I, I think there is to me that uh, there's something to me that is very, um, I feel very drawn to those types of mentor characters because <laughs> I kind of want to know what they're going to be like. Come on, Sarah. <laughs> like, what thing are they going to be like? What, what are you, why are you messing this up? Come on, you know better. But I feel, you know, so I just, I really want to know what areas of my life they're just gonna be like, come on, Sarah, you can, you need to do this. Yeah. Like, get up onto that blurg. Like, I want to know what they think my blurg is. So you would take Quill on a tour of your life and Pretty say, like, please tell me something and then say, I have spoken. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think, I don't even want to say, please tell me because I might be afraid. Yeah. Uh, but just be like, yeah, let's hang out for a day and, and see. <laughs> and and then I would see what happens. He's got this big pitch. Uh, I think it's one of the most thematically important parts of the first season uh, that uh, the Mando hates droids because he was involved in a massacre by mm-hmm. the old B2 battle droids in the Clone Wars era. Um, and then is, of course, concerned about uh, the IG-11 yep. droid being reprogrammed. And Quill has that whole montage and, and has that really important idea of hey uh, droids aren't good or bad they're what is imprinted on them by basically their parents mm-hmm. you know i think that's meant to reflect on the mando's relationship with the child and make us question what is what is mando imprinted on the child what is the child imprinting on mando but it's this big idea of like our actions impact others yeah would you want any advice from quill about like who who might I accidentally be imprinting on? <laughs> sure. I mean, I kind of feel like I would take whatever advice Quill has to Okay, offer. fair enough. Maybe not. I mean, I might bristle at it. Okay. And it might be like, Mando would be like, yeah. but um, I might want to be like Baby Yoda and just sit down. But <laughs> I feel like at this point, yeah, I, I would take whatever uh, insights Quill has to offer. So if Quill was just like, let me look at your Excel spreadsheets, you'd be like, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll see. Yep. I'll yep, take him up on exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Mandalorian big picture. Uh, yeah. Din Djarin in particular is, uh, I feel like a lot of what the show is about is he's trying to live up to this creed that we get various definitions of uh, specificities of the creed. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think it's it's about honor. We kind of see this again and again where, if possible, he wants to tell people what he needs and he wants to work with people. And when he can work with people like Cara Dune or uh, the Amy Sedaris character, Pelimoto, it, he, he uh, or Quill, honestly. Like, part of the, sh- the first season is him going around making friends. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, I'd like to treat you with honor. And they're like, cool, let me treat you with honor back. Yeah. And then when he runs into characters and like, hey, I'd like you to treat you with honor, and they try to kill him or steal from him or do damage to the child, then he's like, well, I guess I I have to beat you up or kill you. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a very clear delineation. Yeah. But it is all about honor. Mm-hmm. What do you think of, like, the word honor gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. When you're watching a show like Mandalorian, does it transcend the word? Do you think about what honor means to you or how honor mm-hmm. translates outside of 
Like it's it's such it's one of those words that can just be like, yeah, no, we all know what honor is, and that guy's trying to be honorable. It's an honor thing. Got it. Honor, whatever. But when you stop and think about what it means, yeah, how, how does that idea of honor resonate with you or translate? Well, it hadn't, but that's a great question. <laughs> um, no, I mean, really, because it because I think I had only watched it from the perspective of within the universe that we're watching, within the show or within the Star Wars universe. Um, you know, we there are different different characters have their different um, codes of honor. Yeah. And we we accept that. I accept that and feel like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's really interesting to see, especially some of the, for The Mandalorian, some of the characters that are a little bit on the fringes of maybe some things are not honorable, but other, but then the interactions they have with other people are honorable. So I always find that kind of interesting is what do you do with the gray? Yeah. Because the... You know, the edges of what's really with your code of honor or what's really against it, those are the easy parts and the gray is the difficult part. Yeah. But I had not thought about it of like, okay, so what do we take as, like, what's my code of honor? I have not thought about. (laughs) And uh, now I'm going to be thinking about that one a lot. And like, how do we live, do people, I mean, I, I am certain that some people do treat it this way of like, what is your code of honor? I mean, I guess if I were to just be talking while I'm thinking which is what I'm doing that's what a podcast is for (laughs) um I would treat it as like well what are what are my ethics yeah and like are there people who do things or companies or whatever that do things that are against my ethics and then what do I do um but it's really interesting to think about that as a code of honor because I feel like is that does that like does that elevate it does it mean like you're you're wearing a badge? <laughs> Do I get a signet now? Um, but I don't I don't mean that in a way of making light of it. I just hadn't really thought about that. But what is a code of honor versus a code of ethics, and how does that affect how you live or how you interact with people when you and how does your code of honor for yourself? How is it informed by the codes of honor that you see on the screen? Yeah. Yeah, this is great. This is helping me think through it because yeah. I, I didn't have this thought before. But as you're talking and, and I'm thinking about how how it reflects in the show, I think honor can be a code of ethics combined with this other central Star Wars theme of choice. How are you going to choose to enforce them? Because mm-hmm. we can all say we have, oh, yeah, we have all these beliefs. But then when they become in conflict with one, with one another or someone violates them, or you find yourself slipping from them, are you going to choose to address it? Yeah. You know, and I think that's what the Mandalorian is really trying to do of like, I'm going to live up to honor. And I think that's, that's why Queel gets in with the whole, your people rode the mythosaur. Like one of your, part of your creed is to accept challenges and live up to them, mm-hmm. you know, to be the best, you know, version of yourself that you can possibly be. Yeah. Um, And then I think that, third episode the chapter three the sin mm-hmm. which has that great ambiguous title the sin where he lots of people accuse him of a sin yeah <laughs> uh but basically he doesn't seem that he's that into being a bounty hunter it's a thing he needs to do but in general he he makes a deal with somebody and he follows the rules mm-hmm. okay well that code of honor is now in violation with he found this innocent child and there's also a mandalorian code and he has a personal code from his own life experience of you protect young, innocent things. Yep. Uh, and then he's got, as well, like, if I really cause problems and, and rescue this child, that might expose the hidden Mandalorians and it might put them at danger. And is that breaking? So he he's presented with uh, two to three pressure points on honor and is forced to choose. Yeah. And I think that's what's really interesting about it. And it was maybe... You know, makes me think of a couple times in my life where, where, particularly when I was younger, was like, I have, sure, I have a code of honor. Yeah, I can be kind of jokey about it. Here's the eight things. Great. And then, like, the first time in life where two of those things were in conflict, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> is this life? And I have to choose which one is actually higher on the list. What is the most true to me? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating that you had a code of honor with eight things on it. I don't know if I actually had eight things, but you know, it's, no, I, but think, I, I take your, your point, but yeah. But if I sat down, I could probably, I could probably even still like, you know, I think we all do. And some of them we just take for granted. Yeah. You know, 
and that's what's fascinating about a show of like here's a guy who kind of has a list <laughs> who, yeah. who you know we don't hear them all but every once in a while somebody will just say well that is a part of the creed like that's yeah. that's on the bullet point yeah. list true you know but honor comes up again and again and that's, yeah you know and and that you know is, is at the core because he looked at i have to actually break the agreement that i made with the bounty hunters guild right i have to risk the other mandalorians but in my heart of hearts, I know handing over an innocent thing that helped me out of the pure goodness of its heart and saved me from that mud horn. I know that I can't give it to Imperials that I know are not honorable people. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's you know, um, I think it's moving when I think about it and talk about it like that because it is, it is, you watch it and it's the whiz bang adventure and you watch it and we relate to the child. Mm-hmm. And you're like, come on, Mando, you know, it, and we watch it with that, like, of course he's going to do that. But when you really think about it through his eyes, you know, he threw away his job. He risked his immediate family because this because he looked into his heart of hearts and this is the highest thing on the honor list. Yeah. Is saving that child. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because they not only broke the. This is not the most important. I feel like the the family thing is the, probably the most important. But after after Baby Yoda, um, but not only did he question what was happening, but he got paid. Yeah, and he didn't return the money. He no. wore that Beskar. Yeah, he, he he walked in wearing the money he had been paid right? to steal the child. He's back. wearing his money suit, stealing <laughs> the money the the child. Um, yeah, so it's just like level upon level of having to break his word. Yeah. And his word is his honor. Yeah. One of his honor. One of his honor. One of his honor. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll yeah. we can work on our our code. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and see uh where we end up. If you could uh send Mando on a mission for you, what would you ask him to do? Wow. Wow, that's such a great question. I have so many things and yet I want it to be worthy. It doesn't have to be worthy because sometimes he does small jobs. He got an egg for the Jawas. He did. That's true. Suka. Suka. I mean, can he fix climate change? (laughs) Can he? That's a big order, but. I mean, that was not the little one. That was the big one that I don't know the solution. Can he find the families for the 545 children? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, talk about real and real honor Sorry. in real life. No, no, no. It's fine. I, I'm always the one who's like, but but what about real life? So, yeah, fair. I mean, that I feel like that is kind of unfair to him because then if he can't, what does he do? He suddenly has like 500 families he has to take care of and find room for in that ship. No, but I mean, I, 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 I don't want in any way to make light of the situation no. by comparing it to Whizbang Space uh, Show. But I do feel like that those are the kind of ideas that are at stake that we can translate to real life of clearly that is utterly barbaric and without honor to separate children from their parents. Right. And isn't that the type of thing where we do want? Um, yeah, because I absolutely am not meaning to make light of it. I mean, no, yeah, as no, a, I know. I'm um, just being extra clear because I, I. Yeah. yeah. Um, but isn't that the type of thing where it would be amazing to have, uh, you know, yeah, he is not a superhero, but like a, you know, some a hero. A yeah. person with a code of honor that you could entrust and say, like, okay, here are, you know, 550 Mandalorians. Yeah. And we can send them and try to fix this. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, what that would be, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's powerful to me because then when I think about it that way, then it helps me go, I, I should do more in real life. What, what more can I do? Like, I don't have a jetpack and I don't want to beat people up. But mm-hmm. what are more active things that I can do? Yeah. You know, uh, to who who is most effective to give money to? Who is the most effective to write to? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's very, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which would you rather have? Now we're getting back to a little bit of the wacky fun. Yeah. No, we need to have fun also. <laughs> it's very important. We to took have. a detour into serious real life land. Uh, to, to have serious and have fun. Yes. Both important. Let's have serious fun. Which would you rather have? A jetpack or an adult-sized floating pram that you can close the door on? <laughs> <laughs> like the child. Oh, wow. Uh, a jetpack. 
<laughs> I thought that my wife would choose a jetpack. <laughs> I mean, the floating pram is pretty tempting. Yeah. But sometimes I just really want to get a place. Yeah. And I admit that wins. Yeah. I, th- you know, I wrote this as a real jokey question. Is like, man, that's that's my problem in life right now. That's that's comfort versus adventure. There, That's the like, uh, I just want to sit in a bubble and float to wherever I need to go. And if there's a problem, I'll shut the door. <laughs> that's real, real uh, tempting and it's necessary. But a jetpack is like, let me go take care of this. Let me go. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I need some action. Need some action. Uh, you kind of touched on this, but I, I wanted to dive into it. Uh, the armorer character, who I absolutely love. Yeah. Uh, she eventually gives Mando the uh, the Mudhorn signet. Uh, it's something clearly that the Mandalorian is working towards that level of honor, mm-hmm. that level of accomplishment in the culture of Mandalore to have earned a signet. Yeah. Uh, and she determines that uh, all of his protecting of the child and helping to... Uh, going on this mission to find where the child uh, belongs is worthy of a signet. So she gives him the signet of the Mudhorn, mm-hmm. uh, the creature that they work together to to defeat. Yeah. Um, and calls them a clan of two. Yeah. So if we were a clan of two, you mm-hmm. and I, what do you think uh, our signet should be? Oh, wow. Um, well, what have we worked together to defeat? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, if that's if that's the the starting place for ooh, it. Ooh, yeah. I you mean, because my instantly I go to things that we like, but that's not necessarily a thing that we. Yeah, I mean, we've defeated martinis. I yeah, guess. they didn't put up much of a fight at all. No, or if we want something that's representative of us, I would say a tree with a squirrel in it. Yeah, with but, a, a squirrel with a jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't just defeated that, so I don't. I guess I don't know what the rules are. Yeah. I, and I guess maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on that. Maybe defeated isn't even the right. That's what truly brought them together. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. where uh, Mando was still intending to bring the child to hand over, but he, but Mando was protecting the child, mm-hmm. and the child reciprocated and protected him back. So I think it's, it's a moment of of connection. Yeah. Right where they became, as one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a weird way. So I'm gonna say a nice oak tree with a squirrel in it. A nice oak tree with a squirrel. Nice. Nice. I there? like that. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, another one. Um, A really clean apartment. (laughs) Because sometimes we've... Because that's a shared... We've had that sometimes, (laughs) and I think it's one of our highest accomplishments. It is. It's a really clean uh, apartment. Uh Yeah. Uh, Or maybe our wedding rings. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or like, I mean, I could I could see our, our little car, like, driving up a hill. Yeah. You know, Ooh, or made it through through journeys, literal and metaphorical, so oh. I feel like that's a good one. Yeah, Oof, it was a signet that was a combination of, like, an oak tree uh-huh. representing, like, Minneapolis, where those are more prevalent, mm-hmm. and then, it, like, a combination of that in a palm tree Ooh. You know, would represent us being willing to try new things. Ooh, I like that. I like that very much. And then it, there can be a road in between the two. And on the road, instead of headlamps or headlights, are our are, are wedding rings interlaced. Oh, wow. This is a very detailed signet we're asking the armorer to hammer <laughs> out for us. It is. <laughs> but I think she's up to it. Definitely up uh, to it. Before we go into noises to sum up and ratings, uh, is there any other part of Mandalorian that you really wanted to be sure to touch on or talk about? Ooh, I'm, I'm sure there is, but not that I can think of right now. Okay. Yeah. I, with this, with, like Star Wars, this is tip of the iceberg yeah, conversation. Absolutely. And this is really fun for me um, because I have so much fun on Force Center, uh, really diving deep into you know each episode and themes and connecting it and listing all the things that popped up in that episode that are from another thing and all that. And it's really, really fun and nice to take a, a big step back and, and talk about it you know as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think that it has been the one of the big powers of this is... Boy, if you're if you're super deep into Star Wars, it's connected to everything from the deepest themes to the most fun, like not even inside jokes, but just a little part of canon that people have loved in books. And now it's on screen like there's nothing insincere about it. Um, So there's a ton there if you're super deep into Star Wars, but you do not have to be. It is so accessible. 
it is so just the story of a guy with honor trying to do the right thing and then he bonds with the cutest most relatable thing ever and they're trying to make it through this rough galaxy together it's yeah. just the most relatable thing in the world and i'm i'm so happy that uh this first live action star wars show is something that welcomes hardcore fans in a big way but also really welcomes people who have never seen a minute of star wars before yeah yeah totally yeah all right let's make our noise uh noises to sum up what, what kind of noise do you have to sum up your uh interest in the mandalorian <laughs> is that a little coup of the child? Yeah, it was an yeah. attempt at that. Yeah. That is really great. Uh, I will describe my noise because I don't want to uh, <laughs> insult it. Uh, but it's uh, it's that uh, horn, the introduction of the Mandalorian theme. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I do have another thing I need to talk about with yeah. this. Is that okay? But Please? I want you to finish your sound first. Oh, that's all I got. I won't I, disrespect the score any more than that. I need to talk about the score. Okay. <laughs> uh, because um, obviously I knew we were going to be talking about this today. And I have been nothing but having, no, 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 no. I will dis- disrespect it. There we go. <laughs> um, in my head, like for the last hour, it has been on repeat. Just so you know, this is what's been in my my little um, inner uh, soundtrack. I love the score so much. I feel like... Um, Ludwig Gorenson, I believe is the name, mm-hmm. uh, is just handled it so well. It is, there's so many points to it. And interestingly, um, I check out a lot of my music from the library. Check it out if you're able to. But it checks out by episode. And it's been so much fun to listen to the different episodes. Because when it first came out, I was like, yes, this is going to be like a best of. And it's like, no, you have to choose. Do you want episode one, episode four? And some things obviously are the same, but some things are so different and they're so connected to what's going on in the episode. And I, I, I know that's what, you know, composers are supposed to do. But I feel like he handled it so well. And that haunting but universal, you know, uh, recorder that he uses for that main theme is just like, I feel like so spot on. I just feel like moment of genius yeah. in this. And like, what a thing to have to create you know for a new star wars any of the what now three um composers who have composed for stars who are not john williams i just feel like that's asking a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) to step into this and i just feel like he delivered so well and i just would not i would be kicking myself for months if i did not bring it up so thank you yeah absolutely I, i i liked it from the very beginning because honestly like especially in that first scene like that that very first scene is a two-hander between the Mandalorian and the score, right? Like the score mm-hmm. is so, and it, it it's so great that it goes from that that initial uh, horn is lonely, desperado gunslinger, but it builds into that big theme that has a sense of uh, community and a sense of triumph of of striving to live up to your your goal for yourself. Yeah. So powerful. And then, yeah, I get so obsessed with like uh, the narrative and the characters and the themes and the details that sometimes I don't hear, like I hear the music and it's good. But like when we rewatched the, uh, the first season, mm-hmm. it is really powerful because there are, there are shows where the, somebody makes a suite of music and that's the music that you pull from, you know, but that he wrote entirely new scores for each episode. And you yeah. can really hear that chapter six. I love cause it's, uh, you know, a little bit of a heist, and that's constant heist tension music within still sounding like that. Mm-hmm. It's all really impressive. The one thing that I I will be uh, uh, have some Star Wars nerdery about. Yeah, uh, yeah. So John Williams obviously kind of sets the bar, and then uh, Michael Giacchino, uh, Giacchino. Mm-hmm. Giacchino, and John Powell, uh, mm-hmm. Rogue One and Solo uh, respectively. So that's you know amazing to hear. And then big deal that Ludwig Göransson first live action so there's a lot of attention on it but poor kevin kiner gets left out of the mix kevin kiner did all the music for the clone wars and for rebels i was just gonna say i left them out oh no it's fine but technically but it's just i know i know um anyway the point being uh, i like to shout out kevin kiner because it takes nothing away from ludwig Göransson, but in the clone wars animated series in particular which started coming out in 2008 he experiments with some of the same zones that Ludwig Göransson does, oh, and fun. it's really fascinating to listen to and go like, "Oh wow, that that you know, two different composers who are like, I got to do Star Wars, but I got to do different, and I got to show these different kinds of environment and these different kinds of moods." 
started to kind of explore and experiment in similar, you know, yeah. ways and places. And they're connected by being television shows where yeah. like Powell and Giacchino have to do like, it's a movie. Right. Right. Well, I will see if I can check out the score for Clone Wars. Um, hopefully that one's not every episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and who did he also do the score for Rebels? Yeah. Okay. And then who did the score for, um, I'm just going to totally blink on Resistance. The, resistance. Thank I you. I believe it was Kevin Kiner. I might be okay. wrong. Uh, so there you go, listeners. At least one Star Wars thing on this podcast that I might be entirely factually incorrect about. Well, but I will look that up. We can look it up. And I recommend everybody to check out all of these from your library <laughs> or wherever you get your music. Uh, yeah. Solo in particular, you really turned me on to. I, I loved it when I saw, saw the film. But you really turned me on to it as a great just listening to soundtrack. It's a great writing soundtrack. Yeah, it's also a great driving soundtrack. Not surprising in a movie about Han Solo, right? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But it is. But it, it really is. is. Yeah, it's yeah. a great driving. It's a great driving responsibly soundtrack. Yes. Unlike Han Solo. Uh, all right. On a scale of one to ten, uh, I, I'm not e- expecting you or putting pressure on you to be obsessed with Mandalorian. <laughs> but on a scale of one uh, to ten, one being the lowest, ten being the highest, uh, how much are you obsessed with the Mandalorian, do you think? Oh, I would say I'm a pretty good seven. Yeah. I th- I mean, it, it comes and goes. I With it just coming, with us just rewatching it and just coming back on, I'm probably higher right now. Maybe right now I'm like a seven and a half. But I'm going to say that even when it's not on the air, I'm probably in the six, six and a half range. Yeah. Um, and partly because this whole time when it wasn't, um, I mean, it was on because it's at Disney Plus, but like when it wasn't being new episodes or yeah. being aired, I, I mean, the number of times when I scroll through my um, history, because I'm serious about how much I check these out from the library, yeah. like they're only checked out for a week and I've had them checked out most weeks since they were released. Oh, at wow. least one of them. Not always, but usually because they're, I like listening to them just for themselves. Um, I like listening to them when I kind of need to shut my brain up and focus on a thing. It's not all of them work for that, but some of them do. And so, and also I check them out thinking I'll listen to them more than I do. So sometimes I check them out and don't listen to them. But with the music and with Baby Yoda and with the Mandalorian action figure that's on a coffee table, um, <laughs> they're, they're never gone from my brain for more than a week or two at a time. Yeah. Mando is never too far away. No. Plus, now I've got to think about this whole honor thing. So maybe it's going to be higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to have our uh, make our honor list. Yeah. Our code of honor. <laughs> our code of honor. Uh, well, let's move on to the plugging section. Yeah. So uh, do you have anything that uh, uh, I, I was going to ask you if you have anything you want to plug? Because <laughs> I just slipped back into uh doing obsessed when i had uh, I, other guests i do have something i want to plug but it, i think it's what you're going to plug too uh when you listen to this if you haven't voted yet go vote um <laughs> so there and wear a mask i'd like to plug that also <laughs> um listen to the cdc and uh you can find me on insta <laughs> insta street gosh that's where i, I am scrim, scrim street i can talk scrim street at instagram Nice. Well, I think you just uh, started our code of honor of, you know, <laughs> wear a mask. And I mean, there's been all the great uh, jokes. That's, uh, you know, this fun, interesting idea in uh, The Mandalorian that whatever going on with his, uh, you know, version of Mandalorian culture, he does not uh, remove the mask, which yeah. I think is uh, is a great reinforcement for us to have that <laughs> on our code of honor during these uh, difficult times. Mm-hmm. I will wear my mask with honor, just like Mando. Uh, here are some quick uh, plugs for the show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out that Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Four Center. Info on comedy albums and all sorts of different stuff like that, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. Let's do our final questions. Are you ready? I sure am. A large animal offers to give you a ride. What animal would you want to travel with? Are we riding in a vehicle or am I riding on the animal? You're riding on the animal Ooh. per the animal's offer. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, a giraffe. Nice. Nice. Why? I guess giraffes are cool. <laughs> and I was going to say an elephant, which would also be cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I kind of want to. I'm curious what it would be like because, you know, the giraffe's head is 
pretty high up there. So what's their view like? And yeah, oh, because you're riding up at the top of the neck. No, I'm riding <laughs> down below. But like, what's their experience oh, versus yeah. my experience? And yeah, you know, I don't know. I think it's like they're on the top of a double decker bus in London, and you're on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's where they're steering from. So does it affect my ride? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like your logic uh for one night only you can replace the moon with an emoji which emoji do you choose oh um gosh something nice um a, a smiley, a smiley face do you think that the, there's been so much ironic smiley faces yeah. over the years do you think people would find that nice or would it be like oh no the moon is smiling yeah it probably would be I mean, oh, this would be mean. I was going to say a sunset emoji, but that's just mean. <laughs> so, uh, cartwheel. A, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of the cartwheel emoji. The cartwheel emoji is pretty great. Yeah. So, I'm I'm going to say cartwheel. It's got definite forward movement. Yeah. I think that's great. Not all right. sure what it means when it's in the sky, but we'll all decide together. Well, I can't wait to see you ride a giraffe under the light of that emoji. <laughs> <laughs> Final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? Uh, happiness is knowing that you have done your part, whatever that means at the moment, and you are finding your code and making the moon smile. Uh, I think those are all great definitions of happiness. We got plenty <laughs> uh, this week. Thank you all for listening. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So I don't want to go this podcast uh, without discussing one of my favorite characters from The Mandalorian, and that is The Client, played by Mm. Werner Herzog. Mm. And he has a lot of great turn of phrases. He's not the nicest guy, I don't think, but he has this absolutely great turn of phrase where he says to Mando, can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative? So you and I have a little whiskey, so uh, can I offer you to cheers to celebrate the closing of our shared podcast? You may. <laughs>